This is In the Arena, the ultimate podcast on Maine politics, featuring former state senator and mayor of Portland, Democrat Ethan Strimling, former Republican state senator Bill Harriman, and TV news veteran and host Pat Callahan, with insight and analysis on political issues impacting Mainers. In the Arena starts now. Hello and welcome to the second episode of season two of the In the Arena podcast, now produced in our new home right here on TV and everything at WMTW Channel 8. You can watch or listen to us anytime at WMTW.com with new episodes dropping every Thursday morning, or you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google by searching In the Arena Maine will pop up. I'm your host and moderator, Pat Callahan. I've been a news anchor and reporter in Maine for more than four decades, and serving as our political analyst each week are Phil Harriman, former Republican state senator and town councilor from Yarmouth, and Ethan Strimling, a Democrat who has served in the Maine Senate and as mayor of Portland. Gentlemen, as always, good to see you again. All the first week jitters out of the way. Yeah. Definitely, I brought my notebook this week, Phil, so you better be ready. <laughs> All right. I, felt like ready. He, I felt like he kind of beat me last week, too many issues, so I took notes this you can't week. can't have that. They invited us back, so that's a good sign, too. That's, that's, that's true. They, they, they didn't change the locks. Well, uh, as we always do, we're going to begin with a look in-depth at one of the big issues that's happening in politics, in this case, as the U.S. Supreme Court takes up the issue of whether Donald Trump's actions on January 6, 2021 disqualify him from running for president. We will look at Maine Secretary of State Shanna Bellow's recent decision and the merits of the case for leaving him off of the ballot. And then for our lightning round, we're going to do something we like to call newsworthy or snoozeworthy, as in, is an item worthy of the attention it's getting, or are people making much ado about very little? For instance, is it newsworthy or snoozeworthy that Senator Susan Collins helped recruit Angus King's opponent for the fall election, despite King endorsing Collins in 2014 and staying neutral in 2020? So that's kind of on the radar, too. Hey, can I answer that now? Or do I have to oh, wait? Oh, you got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got to save the I'm good ready. stuff. I'm <laughs> ready. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break and then get started. Let us take our deep dive in the arena. And a quick disclaimer here, if you notice Ethan getting particularly animated on this subject, that's because he was one of the challengers that led to this situation. We're speaking, of course, about Secretary of State Shenna Bellow's decision to disqualify Donald Trump from the main ballot because of his actions on January 6th. That decision was placed on hold pending appeals and this week, the U.S. Supreme Court is scheduled to be taking up uh, oral arguments on the issue. So can Donald Trump be on the ballot here in Maine and elsewhere? And that's the, one of the Supreme Court's biggest election questions, probably since Bush versus Gore in the year 2020. So, Ethan, let's begin with you. Obviously, you agree with Secretary Bellow's decision to disqualify Donald Trump because of, of the decision she made about him and his actions on January 6th. Mm -hmm. Explain to us where this comes from. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, where it comes from is from Donald Trump. It comes from January 6th. And on that day, of course, what Donald Trump did was he incited an insurrection against uh, the U.S. Congress to try to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And that's where I think this question fundamentally begins and ends, right? 
you either believe that Donald Trump incited the riot to block the peaceful transfer of power, or you don't. But if you do, then I think it's pretty clear the Constitution says you cannot uh, allow that person to run for president. The Constitution says if you incite an insurrection against the country, you're disqualified. What Chenabellos did, I think, is follow the law. Three courts have now determined that Donald Trump was an insurrectionist, that he did indeed incite this insurrection. And she looked at the facts, and based on Maine law, she has the obligation to make a determination just like anybody else, and she determined Donald Trump's disqualified. And that's what brings us to this moment today, to have him not be on the Maine ballot if the Supreme Court rules that way as well. And yet Donald Trump has not been charged with insurrection, let alone convicted of it. Does that matter? Well, it doesn't actually in terms of the Constitution, right? Let's remember this amendment was drafted at the time when the Confederate, when the war, Civil War just ended, and Confederate soldiers, of course, were not convicted. The terms of surrender were that they would um, be pardoned from uh, being convicted of any crimes. And yet, of course, they were not allowed to run for office. So conviction doesn't matter. But again, it is important, three courts of law three judicial bodies have determined that he was an insurrectionist. So whether he's convicted or not, courts have said, yes, he was. So the narrow question, Phil, was right. Secretary Bellows correct in her ruling? I, I believe she was incorrect. Uh, there's 27 states that have decided that he is eligible to be on the ballot. And I think it's important to remember that the 14th Amendment was adopted to uh, uh, award citizenship uh, to former slaves uh, to become citizens. The third um, uh, section of the 14th Amendment said that if you were uh, a military officer serving in the Confederacy, you uh, can only serve in Congress if you get a two-thirds vote to make sure that people who didn't want the war uh, to continue with ser serving in Congress. So I think it's a stretch. And it's important even, and I understand the passion behind your feelings, but we need to look longer view because if this is allowed to stand, what's going to happen in the future when future presidents do things that don't necessarily uh, suit our appetite? Uh, are we going to then call them an insurrectionist for uh, President Biden and Kamala Harris were involved in uh, protesting, uh, in, involved in the riots that happened, uh, you know, recently. The president at the time, Trump, had to be put in a bunker to protect him from uh, the rioters. Kamala uh, Harris donated money to the rioters uh, for their legal son. That could be described. Are you talking about the Black Lives Matter? Yes, yeah, yeah. I well, think that, I that's, that, that could be deemed insurrection. So my point is, I know, I understand the emotions behind the day, but let's look at the years ahead and make sure we don't set a precedent that will come back to haunt us. I would put that right back to you. Let, let's look ahead, right? Are we going to say to ourselves, we're going to look the other way when a president who has actually incited a riot that actually tried to block <laughs> the peaceful transfer of power and that was an insurrection, are we going to look the other way and say to ourselves, oh, the president of the United States can commit insurrection against the country and we're going to allow them to run for office again? That's the much bigger precedent, right? Courts are the ones that will determine whether a Black Lives rally that has nothing to do with trying to overthrow the Constitution versus an insurrection that tried to block Congress and indeed did block Congress for you know almost 24 hours. Well, from so doing that's his the question, duty. Phil. Really, do you believe that was an insurrection, uh, and did Donald Trump uh, take part in it? Well, I, I would answer it by uh, restating what you said in your question uh, to Ethan. He wasn't convicted of insurrection. I think if we're going to have this conversation hold water, he should stand trial for insurrection, allow him to uh, appeal if he's found guilty, and then you would have the standing to say, 
uh, he's not eligible for office. But what's your opinion? Did it look like an insurrection? Oh, it looked here? like a riot. It looked like I, I think you'll see that President Trump said we are going to peaceably protest at the Capitol. Well, but he Phil, didn't say go over there and knock the doors down and you know. He, he said fight. 20 times. It's like saying to somebody who's an arsonist who says, go burn down the house, burn down the house, burn down the house, oh, bring a bucket of water, that that person's not an arsonist, right? <laughs> How many times do you use the word fight in your political activities? Well, but he, he, I mean, he invited them. Are you telling me that Donald Trump, that, that they went to the U.S. Capitol to try to block the peaceful transfer of power, and that is not what Donald Trump wanted them to do? Because he, to he was chanting, stop the steal. So what is his point? Uh, his point was through the procedural, he thought uh, Vice President Pence had the power within the electoral process inside the Senate to block it. He didn't say go in there and take over the government. Well, all we know is that Republicans at that time said that Donald Trump incited this insurrection against us to block us. So even Republicans at the time were saying this is a problem. Mitch McConnell standing up saying that. So, so it's pretty take hard him to, to trial him. and, and but find he's been him guilty. In, well, but again, Let's, three courts have now determined he is, he was an insurrectionist. A district court in Colorado, the state Supreme Court in Colorado, and the Secretary of State of the greatest state in the nation have all said he was an insurrectionist. Let's, let's bring this back home to wrap it up, back yeah. home to Maine, and that is Jenna Bellows knew, I'm sure, when she made that yes. decision, she mm -hmm. was going to take a lot of heat for yeah. it, and she has said there have been numerous threats against her and her family. Uh, what do we say to the public about that? Uh, unacceptable, including on the other side. My comments uh, on the airwaves uh, over this issue, I received some threats that I had to follow up on. So regardless of which side of the political aisle you're on, there is no room for uh, threatening anyone who's involved in the public discourse. Look, Phil, I, of course I agree with you. There's no place for it. But I, I think we have to be very careful about this, you know, uh, uh, creating false equivalencies, right? In, in the states, the 27 states that you mentioned in which those courts have not banned Trump from the ballot, those judges did not see, receive death threats. The only places where death threats are happening are those who have stood up to Trump. So I think it's very important that MAGA and Republicans talk about their own, not try to create a false, I've gotten death threats through, I've gotten a, nothing like what is going from the MAGA base attacking people who are standing up to Trump versus those who are saying Trump should be on the ballot. And so it, you're right, it's different. happened all over the country. Yeah, it has, in the places where they've said Unex can't be It's on unacceptable, yeah. unacceptable. All right, that'll wrap up that part of our discussion. Our lightning round is coming up next on In the Arena. And it's time now for the lightning round on In the Arena. This week, we're going to throw out something that's happening in politics and ask both of you to tell me if it's newsworthy or snoozeworthy. I think it will become clear as Are we Are we go supposed along. to fall asleep on the snoozeworthy part? Or <laughs> well, I hope not. I hope we're going to keep them interesting <laughs> enough. Uh, so first up, the main Republican Party, within 48 hours of Governor Janet Mills announcing a proposal to enact universal background checks on all private gun sales, the party came out in strong opposition. Now, this is before details of the legislation have even been released. Rural Democrats, as well, are keeping their powder dry so far. We excuse the little allegory there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, Ethan, uh, newsworthy or snoozeworthy? 
Look, if the Republican Party mattered on this issue, it would be newsworthy. But the Republican Party doesn't matter, don't need their votes. And honestly, the Republican Party coming out and doing the bidding of the NRA is not newsworthy. That's what they've always done. So I'm going to say this one is snoozeworthy. I think it's newsworthy because I think as this conversation unfolds, it's going to become more bipartisan, as you have suggested. There are Democrats who are holding off their opinions to see the details. And I think that's what's most important. If the governor can put forward something that has tangible, workable solutions, I think you may uh, find this to be something that might pass. Issue two, in the Republican primary to challenge Congressman Jared Golden for the second congressional district seat, Austin Terrio has raised over $350,000 to Mike Soboleski's $50,000. Uh, however, Jared Golden has lots more money than that, of, I think $1.3 million now in the bank. Uh, so, Phil, is that fundraising stuff newsworthy or snoozeworthy? Yeah, I think there's more to it than you might think. Uh, part of what Representative Golden has in his war chest is about $750,000 left from his previous campaign. And for Austin Terrio to come out with 350, and I've heard he's raised even more since that report, uh, that tells me he's formidable. It tells me also that the uh, con uh, congressional Republicans are paying attention to how well he's doing and he might actually get uh, significant support. Yeah, this is one of those that, that Phil often refers to, like the behind-the-scenes thing. This is newsworthy to people in politics, <laughs> to, to, regular, to, to regular folks, it don't matter. But this is very newsworthy. Like Mike Soboleski, Representative Soboleski, is getting crushed because Terrio is just bringing in a remarkable. And I, I've heard the same thing. I think he's got about half a million dollars actually raised. So mm. newsworthy to Mike that it's like, uh-oh. But yeah. this is something we'll hear about in the coming months. But uh, the, the National Republican Establishment has decided Austin Terrio should be the guy just just as the Democrats decided Sarah Gideon should be the Democratic challenger to Susan Collins, perhaps not to their, to their benefit because that did not work out. Yeah, that's often a problem when the National Party tries to come in and funnel everybody. I do think that Terry, you know him, I've never met him, but you know he, he seems like a pretty serious candidate, is going to have some serious money, and I think Golden is taking him seriously. But. Well, not only does he have the fundraising, but he's got the organizational structure, and that's the key. You've that got matters. To have, you've got to have both. Especially in the 2nd yeah. District. Right. Issue 3, a three-judge panel of the Federal Appeals Court has unanimously rejected Donald Trump's request for absolute immunity from prosecution for things he did as president. Ethan, is that newsworthy or snoozeworthy? You know, this is one of these that I, I would say it, it would be newsworthy if the court came out and said that somehow a president could commit crimes and not be held accountable for them. So it's snoozeworthy in the sense that, uh, of course, who would ever think otherwise? But if they had ruled the other way, I would say it was newsworthy. But it's obviously in the news because Donald Trump is trying to claim he's got this exemption. But I'm going to say snoozeworthy in that sense. Yeah, snoozeworthy up to this point. I, I assume he's going to appeal. That's going to have implications not only for him, but future presidents. This could become very newsworthy. Well, we'll yeah. talk a lot more about that, I'm sure, in the weeks to come as well. Issue four, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators developed a compromise on immigration and border security, which also includes money for Ukraine's fight with Russia and support for Israel. But with Donald Trump urging thumbs down, wanting to keep this as a campaign issue, House Republicans say the measure is DOA. Uh, the Senate has now backed off on bringing it to a vote yet. Many Republican senators, even those involved in negotiating, have backed away. Uh, Phil, this looks a lot more like pure politics than an effort to govern. Sure. You know, uh, what's interesting is these comments by Trump and others were coming out before anybody actually saw the print
printed yeah. printed bill. Now that it's out there, uh, there are Senate Democrats who are not going to be in favor of it, as there are Republicans. So I think if this is going to move forward to a solution, there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done on that bill, and it's going to be determined by whether or not uh, Chuck Schumer allows amendments on the floor of the Senate. Otherwise, I don't think it'll get out of the Senate. Phil, if something's going to get done, what has to happen is Donald Trump has to get out of the way, or Republicans in the Senate have got to stand up and be willing to govern for themselves, right? We didn't even get to really debate the bill before they killed it, as you said. So I, I'm going to say this is snoozeworthy in the sense that <coughs> Republicans just aren't serious about governing, right? They've made this an issue. They got huge concessions in this compromise that is causing many people who are advocates for immigrants to be against the bill, people on the left, and still they won't govern because all they care about is an election. So I, I, would, I would push back on that. I, I think it, it would be like breaking news if the president called a primetime uh, address to the nation and said, uh, we've been overwhelmed with people who've come over our border. We're, we're going to close the border and process the people who've already come up, come into our country and make sure that they should be here legally. That would, that would be uh, breaking news, and I think it would actually help the president in his reelection. All right. Uh, issue five, Senator Susan Collins has acknowledged that she encouraged former Maine Republican Party Chairwoman Demi Kazunas to run against independent Senator Angus King for the U.S. Senate, despite King endorsing Collins in 2014 and staying neutral in 2020 in Collins' race that year. Um, Ethan, newsworthy or snoozeworthy here? Well, I think it was very newsworthy to Senator Collins when she saw in the paper <laughs> that it looked like she had endorsed uh, Demi for this office. You know, it, this was, the, again, a very insidery thing, but I have a feeling that Senator Collins was not very happy with that headline. So had Senator Collins endorsed her early, that would have been truly newsworthy, right? That's a big deal. I think she pulled it way back, so it's snoozeworthy to the public, but I'm sure Senator Collins' office had something to say. Yeah, I, I think to the public uh, it is snoozeworthy. Uh, it would be newsworthy if the Republicans didn't put up a candidate to run for the mm. U.S. Senate, and I think kind that's Kind of like the Democrats are doing. <laughs> well, that's where I was going to go next. Yeah. <laughs> I was let Who you got? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For, those, for those maybe aren't not familiar with this, Angus King has a lot of support from Democrats. Yes, They're happy does. with yes, him there. Not surprising. Yes. Not su so my, my point is, uh, for Senator Collins to make sure that, it, that there was someone on the Republican side who ran as a candidate, uh, I think is good governance. Uh, make no mistake, uh, the fact that Angus King stayed neutral in 2020 uh, didn't uh, overshadow the fact that his wife was out there <laughs> supporting uh, Sarah Gideon. So. Yes, for, sure, for um, sure. And yet there's always been a very close relationship between Collins and King. Yeah, you wonder, has. has that been strained a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't think, really I'd be very surprised if you see Senator Collins out there campaigning with uh, Demi, well, I, that would cross I, I, Once over she the, gets over the, well, we'll see whether she will. Once she gets over the line, I think for Angus to sort of stay out because he's an independent, it's a little easier. As a Republican U.S. Senator who wants, you know, a Republican majority, I expect she will be out there campaigning. But I loved Angus's uh, press release and release to us saying, I was disappointed by Senator Collins' position because Senator Collins gets a lot of grief for being disappointed. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I missed that subtext there. Yeah. That's, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, finally, the proposed 1,500-foot flagpole and theme park in Washington County to honor U.S. veterans has been scratched up. Phil, is this newsworthy or snoozeworthy? 
I think it's newsworthy because if it was just about the tallest flagpole in the world. Bigger than the Empire State Building right. had it been built. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. But if you dig a little deeper, you find that there's a theme park and there's uh, hotels and other places that uh, they would want to develop that I'm sure caused the folks who live in uh, Columbia Falls well, to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Washington County likes development, but perhaps not this kind of development. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly newsworthy, I think, to Columbia Falls, yeah. but to the rest of the, I, I don't know that I ever thought this thing was going to happen. It just seemed so strange. I think it was about this... a billion dollar proposal. Yeah, it was, it was huge. And why are you building it this tall? Anyway, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm newsworthy I... to the people in that town for yeah. sure. And not all that shocking. Yeah. Uh, we're going to wrap things up, a little story about, uh, from our political past right after this. When we have a chance, we like to share some stories about covering politics in Maine, and in this case in New Hampshire as well, in over the last 40 plus years that I've been doing it. And one of the most interesting people to cover when they're running for president, and you love a good crowded field in the presidential race, mm -hmm. was the Reverend Jesse Jackson. And he resonated very well in Maine, in the caucuses. I think he finished third, but he had a deep yes. presence in Maine uh, in 88 when he went up to Jay where the paper mill workers right, were on strike. Right. Yeah. He even referred to that uh, in his speech at the convention in Atlanta that year, yeah. um, giving Jay Maine uh, a nice shout out, standing with people on the point of he challenge. He's always out on the line. So, yeah. so he's an interesting guy, whatever you think of his politics and his background. He's also a guy with a really good sense of humor. If you recall, he'd go on stage. I saw him one time complaining he doesn't get good press coverage. And he said, you know, I just can't get a break. He says, if I'm out in a boat with the Pope and the Pope's hat flies off and I get out of the boat and walk across the water, pick up the hat and bring it back to the Pope, all the headlines will say is, Jesse can't swim. <laughs> but one of the encounters I had with him was in, uh, in the 88 campaign. And a bunch of reporters and photographers were waiting outside his headquarters in Manchester uh, for him to arrive and make some remarks. And the car pulls up. This big snowbank, very icy snowbank that we get in New England this time of year. And uh, so we all start crowding toward him as he's getting out of the car. And he's already a fairly tall guy, and he gets up on the snowbank. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before all you alligators of the media cause me to fall down and create an international scene, where should I stand? And the photographer that I was with, a guy named Josh Bradford, is not the tallest man in the group. And already so Jesse Jackson now standing on a snowbank looking down. But he happens to be right in front of him. He's got the camera pointed up. And he's saying, stand there. Stand there. And Jesse looks down into the camera and says, I'll stand here. And then he proceeded to make his remarks. And we had the perfect position for it. But I, I, I just love that sort of attitude of, yeah. you know, he's there. Look, it's serious business, but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy what you're doing while you're doing yeah. it. And he yeah. says he knows all the reporters are going to crush on him. But, you know, it was you know just my, my favorite Jesse story was back in the in the uh, 2000 election. You remember when uh, they were talking about fuzzy math back mm -hmm. in one of the uh, elections? And then the 2000 election, when the ballots were all, Jesse stood up in front of the Florida courthouse and said, this ballot is fuzzy. <laughs> and it was just perfect, you know, because when they were all looking at it. But anyway, he's great. Well, that's going to do it for episode two of season two of the In the Arena podcast, produced here at WMTW Studios. We'll be back next week with episode three. We hope you'll join us for that. You can hear and see all the episodes of In the Arena on WMTW.com. You can also 
also find them and listen to them uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you'll do that, and there'll be new episodes every Thursday. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next time in the arena.